Are you ready to get into the book of Revelation? This is serious stuff tonight. We're going to talk about the mark of the beast. We've, we've got to deal with the mark of the beast. Now I want you to say with me, thank the Lord. That mark will never be on me. Amen. But we're going to talk about it. I'm going to tell you what I think it means. So, Father, we just thank you for your blessing on the word of God tonight. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is coming soon. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to be tonight in Revelations 13. And uh, let me just do a little backup because I like to kind of keep us up to speed because we're dealing with a lot of stuff, a lot of heavy stuff. This is, this is uh, you know, earth shattering, earthquake kind of stuff. And uh, so I want to be sure that we're remembering what we dealt with last time and, and um, just keep us up to speed. So last time we ended, we're looking at the rise of the infamous Antichrist, how the Bible calls him the beast, the Bible's description of his evil personality. The Bible tells us what he's going to be like. He's going to be the flatterer. He's going to be the climber. He's going to be the one who seizes power quickly. The opportunist deluxe on steroids. We looked at his committing the abomination of desolation and the worldwide adulation that will erupt after what appears to be the miraculous healing of a head wound. So it looks like either he or something connected to him literally is resurrected. When that happens, the 10 nations or 10 nations, world nations are going to join hands with him in his quest for world domination. And the world is going to worship him when they truly believe uh, this guy is so much from God and of God and has the favor of God that he's raised from the dead. Remember, Paul predicted in Thessalonians, he said, because they rejected the love of the truth, God's going to send the world a strong delusion that they should believe not any lie, but the lie. He puts the article, definite article, the, in front of lie, which distinguishes lie from other lies. It isolates it and said, this is the granddaddy of lies. I personally believe it's the Antichrist, the lie the strong delusion will be this individual. Now today we begin by noting that John has shown a second beast. The Antichrist is the first beast, but here comes beast number two. Revelations 13, verse 11. John looks and he saw another beast come up out of the earth. Now he's going to describe him. This description is very important. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. All right, now let's track that. This second beast looks like a lamb. In other words, he comes over uh, gentle. He comes over innocent. Uh, a lamb. You can't get any more gentle, innocent, harmless than a lamb. But when the Bible says he speaks with the voice of a dragon, that means Satan is speaking through this individual who comes over as a lamb. That's what it's saying. So what we're going to see here is that this 
second beast is Antichrist, sort of John the Baptist. Now, what did John the Baptist do? He pointed to Christ. He said, there's your guy. There's your man. There's Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John set the stage for Christ to step onto it. This second beast is going to do the same thing for the Antichrist. It's like a counterfeit. It's like a satanic counterfeit. All right? Satan comes up with nothing new. Most of what he does, he's copying God. And so John goes on to describe him in verses 12 and 13. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. And he required, look what, look at this. He required all the earth and its people to do what? Worship the first beast. So John the Baptist, he's, it's the Antichrist, demonic John the Baptist, whose fatal wound had been healed. Now th- that verse makes me think that it's the Antichrist himself that appears to receive some kind of a deadly wound and the world thinks it's fatal and he gets up seemingly from the dead. I personally don't believe he does. I think it looks like he does because Satan can't raise from the dead. Satan can't raise anybody from the dead, but he can deceive and lie and use trickery. And I do believe that he's going to make it seem like this antichrist rose from the dead. All right. So This second beast says to the world, when it looks like he rose from the dead, you need to worship him. This man is not just a good politician or a problem solver. This man is more. This man has a supernatural edge to him. As a matter of fact, this man is God. Worship him. Verse 13. He did astounding miracles. Who did? The second beast. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. He replicated the miracle of Elijah. He is Elijah-esque here. Now, let me tell you what I think this is showing us. He's doing miracles. Antichrist doesn't do miracles, but this man is doing miracles, the second beast. So he's a religious leader. He is a religious figure. Now I'm going to step out in faith here and I'm going to say something might rub some of you wrong. I'm sorry if I do. I'm just taking guesses. There's only one religious leader in the whole world who has the eye of the whole world and who much of the world will listen to. And that's the Pope. Now I don't know for sure. I don't know. I'm I'm just surmising. I'm throwing something out. But I can see that. Because we've had popes, and we have one now, that is anything but biblical. Now, can I be honest tonight? He's anything but biblical. He's done all kinds of things that are completely detached from Scripture. He's not a Bible man. All right? So I'm just saying, now, some of you were raised in Catholicism. I'm not taking a shot at you here. I'm just saying that this is a a decent guess. Because it would be easy for a pope to, to come alongside a world-renowned political figure and begin to promote him. And then for a pope to be in the religious arena where he could do supernatural miracles and, and the world 
would expect that from him. It would be a religious leader here. So to me, you've got a, you've got a political leader and a religious leader working in tandem to bring the world under a spell and to, and to bring about world domination. There's no question about it. Now, and by the way, since he replicated the miracle of Elijah, it's interesting to me that for 2,500 years, the Jews have longed for the coming of Elijah. Did you know that? Because of the way that Malachi chapter four ends, the last book in the Old Testament ends with a prediction of the coming of, of, uh, of Elijah, the return of Elijah. Malachi prophesied his return. I'm quoting it now, verse five, chapter four, Malachi. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. So all the Jewish people know about this prediction, all right? So for the last 2,500 years, Jewish families, when observing their annual Passover meal, have left a door or a window open for Elijah to enter and join them in their anticipation of Messiah. Happens to this day. That's how strong the belief is. Now look at this strong delusion. Here comes this strong delusion. This, this second beast. And he performs what looks like a miracle that Elijah would have performed. Fire coming down out of heaven. And they believe in him. And they believe in the one he's pointing to. Strong delusion. That they would believe the lie. Hence this second beast is going to be an ultimate imposter. John continues verse 14. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast. And interesting. We perform miracles, believe for miracles in the name of Jesus. He's going to do miracles in the name of Antichrist. He deceived all the people. Now look at that again everybody. With these miracles... In the name of Antichrist, the second beast deceived all the people who belonged to this world. All of them. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast. Uh-oh. Who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. So again, clearly, something happens to Antichrist that looks like, okay, he's toast, it's over with, he's dead, and he gets up. And that's sort of like the world looking at it like the divine seal of approval on him because he resurrected. It's a counterfeit Christ, anti-Christ, against Christ, opposed to Christ, taking the place of Christ, false Christ, Jesus warned against, false teachers, false prophets, and false Christ's. But a simple statue of Antichrist won't do. Look where the second beast takes it a step further. I marvel at the word of God here. Verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. So we got a talking statue here. Now watch. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Who's talking here? A statue. And what is the statue saying to the world? It's talking to the world. Worship Antichrist, that guy, or die. So now we got two beasts, Antichrist, the false prophet, his John the Baptist, and now we got a third thing, a statue that is animated to talk. 
Now, for centuries, Bible students used to read this and go, what could this possibly be talking about? A talking statue, because they would look at like a Michael, uh, what's the sculptor's name? Michael Angelo. They would look at one of his statues and say, statues don't talk. They would look at all the statues from the Middle Ages. Statues were a big deal. And they didn't talk. They're stone, but this statue is talking, so nobody could make out what in the world this is talking about. But now we live in an age of animation. Statues can easily be made to talk, walk, move, gesture, and so on. I've seen them. Do you know that many pastors today, (laughs) you may not know this, but they've begun using hologram projectors, okay, which create a three-dimensional lifelike image of them, without their having to be there in church. And they teach as if they're there, stand there in the sanctuary, and it's virtually impossible if you're in the audience to tell that the image is not real. Well, there's Pastor Jeff up there. But if you came up to me, you could put your hand through me. Now you go, no way. Oh, yes, way. I've seen one. I've got a pastor friend that's got one. He said, come on, I'm going to show you something. So I went over to his sanctuary and he said, watch this. And he pulled out some black curtains. And so here's black curtains uh, sort of in the back of the stage and on both sides. And he said, now come stand here like you're in the audience. And I did. And all of a sudden down came an image of him and he's talking and he's teaching the Bible. And he said, you know what is happening when this is happening in my church on Saturday night? I'm at the restaurant having dinner. Now, I got to tell you, it weirded me out. Because I said, now we've got a hologram teaching the people as if the pastor is there. You know what? He could really freak them out and make it look like it suddenly disappeared. Right? Oh, my gosh. He got he was raptured. Pastor went and we didn't. Um, but, but watch this. So look at this now. A talking statue, a talking image. It's not really a human being, but it's an image talking. In the Holy of Holies, talking to the world via camera, worship the beast or die. It's not so far-fetched now. Michelangelo's statues couldn't talk, but this one can. Again, the word of God amazes me because John could never have known of the modern age. He could never have known of modern technology, but he predicted that a statue would talk. Two-way television systems are now in place where the entire world could see a lifelike image on their own computer screens and be commanded to worship it. We could do it now. I mean, Zoom, FaceTime, we could all be tuned in right now to the Middle East in a rebuilt temple in the Holy of Holies where there is an image, a talking animated image telling us to worship the beast or die. Two way. Even George Orwell in his book, 1984, envisioned a system whereby Big Brother could also see you. I read 1984 again just a few years ago. It's amazing. I don't know who George Orwell, I don't know much about him personally, but some kind of prophetic something came on him because he sure nailed where we are right now. Big brother is everywhere. 
and Big Brother is watching. And there's hardly a place you can go that a camera is not on you. So it's a reality now. Some people now have learned, I better put tape over the camera lens on my computer uh, or else somebody could be watching me back. And I don't like that. They could be watching me walk around the room when I'm not even thinking about being on the computer, but there's that lens and and you forget about it, but it's there. The other day, me and Cindy were talking and um, we have, I know what you're going to say to me. I know you ought not have that, but we've got Alexa. (laughs) And so we're talking and all of a sudden Alexa goes, (laughs) said, I don't know the answer to that. I said, I didn't ask you anything. And she came back. I don't know the answer to that. I said, but I didn't even call your name. Then would you like for me to know your name so I can recognize your voice when you talk? And I said, no. But see, we got things all around us now, folks. And John foresaw this. Are you with me tonight? John foresaw this animated, talking statues, you know, the whole world watching a single event at the same time in all the different time zones. The second beast could quite possibly place this type of animated statue of the Antichrist right in the Holy of Holies, commanding the world to worship him or suffer the death penalty. So at this point, the three and a half year midpoint of the Great Tribulation, remember Great Tribulation is seven years long, so we're at the three and a half mark, year mark, the, the, the midway point. And here is when Antichrist doubles down and goes for what he's always wanted at the midway point. When he goes into the Holy Holies and says, I am God, he makes his move. And the world is totally brought under his demonic dom, uh, domination right here. Worship Antichrist or die. Now, now, this scene, you've got to think back to Nebuchadnezzar when he built the giant statue. It harkens back to that. Nebuchadnezzar built that giant statue and told all of Babylon, when the horns blow, when the music plays, I want everybody in Babylon to bow down and worship this statue of me. So he was wanting to deify himself. And that's why he lost his mind. He went stark raving crazy. Uh, he, was, he was removed from uh, the kingdom he was put out to pasture like a cow. He walked around on all fours. His fingernails grew out like, like eagle's talons. His hair grew out, beard, he went crazy. He was eating grass because he lifted himself up to be godlike. That's how people go crazy. That's why you need to always say, you know what I am, what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. And anything that I'm not like yet when it pertains to Jesus, the grace of God just hadn't done it yet. But any good thing in me, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I'm going to tell you that about this man straight up. I am what I am by the grace of God. Nobody knows better than me what the grace of God has done for me. But apart from the grace of God, I'm nothing. Nobody, Nothing. And so are you. Amen. How many of you are so thankful the grace of God touched you? And how many of you know you didn't go out and find Jesus? He found you. Come on, everybody. 
So the whole kingdom about, and it was always interesting to me that Nebuchadnezzar told them, when you hear music, that's when I want you to bow down. Music was involved. Some seductive kind of music was involved that caused them to, to bow down. And God took him down. Now, next, this diabolical beast duo bring the stakes even higher by forcing the world uh, to take the infamous mark of the beast. Verse 16, here we go. He required everyone. Wh who's he? The second beast in tandem with the first beast and this animated statue. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And nobody could buy or sell anything without that mark. Let that sink in. You can't go get gasoline without that mark. You can't sell a car without that mark. It says you can't just not buy, you can't sell. You can't sell a house. You can't sell a car. You can't sell anything without that mark. The system will be so in place that for a sale to happen, you've got to have that mark. Now, listen carefully. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, verse, uh, verse 17, which was either, now this is important, either the name of the beast or, so we're given an option here, or the number representing his name. So you either have a name, Jeff, or you have the number that somehow pertains to my name. Either or. Now let's look at the word mark, because here's where words matter. In the Greek language, it's karagma. Wasn't there a movie way back, uh, Kerygma, something like that? The horror movie, some terrible thing Hollywood came up with. But here, here's the word, karagma. That's the word mark. And it means a stamp or an engraving, like a tattoo. So it is as distinct as a tattoo etched into the skin. All right, karagma. It's a mark. It's, it's, it's the same idea as a cattle brand. All right? So it's a distinct mark. So keep that firmly in your skull. Here we go. It's interesting that the, the great tribulation is accompanied by these kinds of identifying marks. You know, either having God's mark or seal on your forehead, God's mark, as the 144,000 Jews do during the great tribulation, they are marked. It says they have God's mark on them. Or in the same great tribulation, you get another mark, the devil's mark. So there's either, either God's mark or the devil's mark. One of the two. And if you're not a believer and you're in the beast system and you're under that great delusion, then you're going to take the devil's mark. You are going to take it. It'll be forced upon the Christ-rejecting world, or you'll sit there and you'll starve. And if you don't know Jesus, you could, you're not going to do that. This technology for a mark like this is in place right now. It only awaits the right timing. I'm going to say that again. It only awaits the right timing. Everything we see now that is significantly headed that direction, or the, the same kind of thing, 
It's just waiting. It's technology being prepped, being prepared for the right timing. For instance, a recent article was headlined this. Fingers likely to replace ID cards in the United States. Follow this. The article reads, beginning in March, students at the University of California, Irvine, were no longer required to show their ID cards to gain access to the Anteater Recreation Center. Instead, they only had to place their hands in a scanner and type in their personal ID numbers. Campus officials said that the hand geometry system had been available for less than two months and already almost 9,000 students had taken it, subscribed to it, gotten an ID number. People no longer have to worry about taking their IDs to this rec center. They just run their finger through and it reads it. One example of the inexorable march toward the use of either a tiny implanted chip or an invisible to the eye laser imprint, and that's where I lean, an invisible to the eye laser imprint. Because, yes, we're talking about a distinct mark, but it could be talking about it's distinct to a laser reader. It may be invisible to the eye. Remember Six Flags? They would give you your stamp, and, you know, you could kind of see it, until you went under a black light and then that thing lit way up and that was your ticket into all the rides. But you couldn't really see it good until it came under a black light. It could be something like that. Various things are going to drive this technology. And I'll tell you the two main things that are going to drive it. Credit card theft and identity theft at the top of the list. That's pandemic right now. You want to talk about pandemic? Listen, have you lately been contacted by your credit card company saying, hey, we just want to be sure that fraud didn't happen on your card. How many of you have had to get a new card because of fraud? Look at all these people. Look at all these people. Yeah, I have too. Our church has had to get one several times from people stealing the number. Okay, that's what's going to drive this. Antichrist will be able to, to sell it as a positive, good thing that you won't have to worry about your credit card anymore because your number is going to be on you and nobody's going to steal that. Could it be that this mark of the beast prophecy is going to be implemented by technology that exists today? I, I believe so. For instance, the biochip implant, syringe, implantable, uh, microchip, lithium, transponder, or an invisible tattoo designed to go on the right hand or the forehead is just around the corner. The technology's there. One recent news story in April 22, so just a few months ago, is, this story is that new. Quote, instead of carrying your wallet in your back pocket or purse, a tech company wants you to carry it under your skin. The British-Polish company called Walletmore, Walletmore, is selling microchips as alternative payment options. This chip is about the size of a grain of rice. It costs about 300 bucks and it does not come inside a credit card. Instead, it has to be implanted in your body, preferably your hand. Once you activate it using a digital wallet app, Walletmore says 
You'll be able to make purchases at most businesses around the world by swiping your hand over a card reader. Boom. You know, this is leading up to a cashless society. Did you know that the book of Revelation predicts a cashless society? That it has to be cashless because now we're dealing with all buying and selling taking place via a mark, not money. So John is writing down in the first century when there was all kinds of currency. But he has no idea that his prophecies would be being read 20 centuries later when the technology would be in place to mark the entire world. And he foresaw this mark taking the place of cash transactions. Nobody can buy or sell without the mark. That's your transaction ticket. That's how you do it. So we're headed towards a cashless society. Are we not? You'll just go to the supermarket, gather your groceries at the checkout counter. A scanner will be swept across your hand or your forehead. The money will be withdrawn from your bank and you'll receive a receipt showing how much was removed and what you have left, like an ATM transaction. You go get 200 bucks out of an ATM machine and it tells you how much you got and how much is left in your account. This mark will do that. This mark will take the place. Without this mark, you won't buy, you won't sell. You won't be able to sell, you won't be able to function. You'll be out there hunting game, raising your own chicken somewhere, living off the land, ducking and dodging antichrist security. I'm just telling you. Here, here's the way it reads. If George Orwell can be accurate with 1984, a regular man, this man, John, who I think was deeply moved by all this stuff, I think John was blown away. I think John was brought to tears. I think John was, John was not a genius. He was a fisherman his whole life. Peter, just a rough cut fisherman. But they ended up writing things that have staggered intellectual giants under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So John says it's going to be a cashless society. That's the way it's going to go down. The move to a cashless society is gaining momentum right now as we speak. All right? In the USA, did you know, in our country, approximately 85% of all transactions are already cashless? 85%. How often do you use cash? Not much. I know people, they go to QT and they use their card for a $3 drink. We're more and more not using cash. Cash represents about 1% to 4% of bank deposits. Everything else is by digital. It's by computer. It's instant deposits instant withdrawal, whatever. It's cashless transactions. We're already there. Book of Revelation says it's going to have to be a cashless society. We're already almost there. Smart cards and biochip pet implants are now totally common in an animal shelter. You go to, to adopt a pet now. Uh, these days, you've got to get them chipped or you can't walk out with that pet. And thank God for the chips because you can find a lost pet easy. But here's the deal. Are human beings next? Time will tell. 
Patrick Hennington, or Henningson rather, of Global Research Company writes this, right now we're on the cusp of the US dollar collapse. That should not shock anybody here. And perhaps a Euro implosion on the back end of it. Risk of hyperinflation are very real. Let me tell you something, our country is in insane debt. Impossible, insurmountable, non-negotiable debt. Are you aware of that? That right now, America is bankrupt? They've printed so much money. Let me tell you quickly, in Nazi Germany, prior to the takeover of Hitler, and this is how Hitler seized Germany, it was in so much financial distress that the German mark was so useless, so worthless, that uh, there's a story of one woman going into a store and outside there was a barrel full of marks and she didn't even bother taking any. They were so worthless as money because they had been overprinted, overprinted, overprinted. What we have done stupidly as a nation, foolishly, ignorantly, stupidly, is we have given away all this, all these, all these huge giveaways uh, during COVID, the trillions of dollars uh, that we gave away and we're going into debt with. The, the only way out was to print more money. And the more money you print, the more you're headed towards non-negotiable, inescapable inflation. Because the money is now cheap. It's worthless. It doesn't mean, there's not even any gold to back it up. Fort Knox is empty. You're just printing paper. It gets to a point where you could use it to start a campfire. So is it any shock that, look, look, we could almost go so far as to say, based on what John writes, that there almost has to be a financial implosion because that's, as Hitler took over Germany, mainly promising to give Germany back her dignity and to restore the economy and he was able to do it by building a war machine because a lot of nations, when they get into trouble financially, one of the best things you can do financially is go to war. So you can invest in war machine and, and, and stimulate the economy with jobs. Hitler promised it that way. Antichrist, I believe, is going to do the same thing. The world's going to be in financial distress. The dollar's not the only thing in trouble. Though the dollar is the world standard, yet the dollar is not the only thing in trouble. Currencies all over the world are in trouble. And I think that there's going to be a, a, desperate, a desperate situation with world currency when Antichrist steps into power. And that's one thing he'll do. I'm going to restore your financial security to you. Just take the mark. And we're going to get a system in place. And we'll get this economy moving again. Typical politician stuff, empty promises, or promises with all kinds of strings attached. Bill Gates, good old Bill of Microsoft fame, is now promoting digital currency, digital, in third world countries that'll make the poor even more dependent on central banks, while also turning them into guinea pigs for the development of a cashless society in the U.S. and Europe. Gates outlined this plan 
for a cashless society in a recently published letter in which he proposed the poor have better access to mobile phones so they can store their financial assets digitally instead of keeping hard currency. If we move to a truly cashless society, writes a New York Times reporter, and I would rarely quote the New York Times, but I will now. They write, if we move to a truly cashless society, it won't be much of an adjustment for most Americans. I don't use much cash anymore anyway. Finally, Damon Darlin. Yeah, that's his last name, Darlin. Hey, Darlin! Again, of the New York Times writes, if I were to make a bet, I'd say that 10 years from now, the most popular answer from young shoppers about how they make small payments would be a thumbprint. And you'll get a dull shrug when you ask what a wallet is. Some of you ladies are going into shock right now. The very thought of not having a, I am, my wallet. If I lose my wallet, half my life is in there. But the day is going to come. Just use that hand. Or stand in front of the machine and scan that forehead. A cashless society would be the IRS's dream, let's face it, because it would give them knowledge and control over the finances of every American, and that's what they love. But a worldwide cashless society would give control of the whole world's finances and personal information to none other than Antichrist. And he'll love that. John also predicts we're coming to the close. Can y'all take a little bit more? Say amen or oh me. Are y'all following me? Am I okay here? Are you, are you with me? This is very informative stuff. I did a lot of study on this. John also predicts the mark of the beast is going to be a number. The last thing I'm going to cover tonight. It's going to be a number. Verse 18, Revelations 13. Wisdom is needed here, writes John. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. For it's the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, again, for centuries, no one really understood what this meant. That is until computers came along. 666, so what does that mean? Now, we know that the entire world could be marked, could it not, by three sets of six digits each. 18 digits. Much like a city of millions can all receive a phone number out of just 10 digits. One through zero. Prophecy teacher Grant Jeffrey writes this, quote, an enormous and sophisticated computer system in Europe will provide the initial consolidated financial integration of the economic systems of the advanced nations. Already an 18-digit number has been assigned to virtually every citizen of the Western world. Did you catch that? I'm not sure you did. Your eyes are glazing on me. I'm going to say it again. I know it's a lot of information. Already... An 18-digit number has been assigned to virtually every citizen of the Western world. Your number includes your year of birth, sex, your current social insurance number, and a code identifying the street you live on. While none of this is the mark of the B system, it's prep. It shows how close we are to the day when the diabolical Antichrist will seize the reins of power and utilize current technology to, to initiate his wicked plan of world control. It's prep. 
Using the amplified meanings, this is powerful. We're, we're almost done, but I got to read this to you. Because using the amplified meanings of the original Greek text, because the New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew, smattering of Latin, but most of it Koine Greek, the Greek of the common man. And so this Greek scholar took Revelations 13, 16 to 18, and he took the Greek language and he created an amplified version of how it would read straight out of the Greek. How many of you have ever read an amplified Bible? Read it, just raise your hand if you've read an amplified Bible. Okay, you know how it just takes English words and amplifies those words, giving you several possible uh, synonymous definitions of the same word. He did this with Greek. So he's giving us a Greek amplified translation of verses 16 to 18 in Revelations 13. You got to hear this. Here it is, quote, straight from the Greek, he, the second beast, caused everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive an etching of servitude made with a sharp point in their right hand or in their foreheads. Verse 17. So that no one could buy or sell unless they had the etching of servitude or the authority of the beast or the number of his authority. Verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the pebbles as the number of the beast. For it is an individual's ID number. Do you get that? First century man foreseeing an identification number in the 21st century. And that helps me understand what 666 is. Is, is somehow his identification number. His number is incised with a pricking action, willingly by one claiming to possess the Godhead. End quote. Whoa, dude. Now, as a guy that I read Greek a lot, that just gave me Holy Ghost bumps. Because that's straight amplification of what the Greek means. It helps me understand. So, Antichrist, what's the number of his name? Here is wisdom. Let him that has wisdom understand. So now, in the 21st century, we can see it might very well just be his individual identification number. And it comes to 666. It could be 18 digits. I don't know. Six each. I don't know. But it's 666, his ID number. And it will be etched onto everybody. So that you now identify with him. And are owned by him. John warns in no uncertain terms, and this is the last verse closing, that the mark of the beast must not be received. Chapter 14, 9 to 10. Anyone who worships the beast and his talking statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath and they will be tormented. I didn't write this. John did by the spirit of God. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels 
and the Lamb. Now, this is probably aimed at tribulation saints. They're going to have to refuse the mark. People saved during the tribulation period are going to have to refuse the mark. Can we stand together? Everybody say, that's a lot of stuff, Pastor Jeff. I know. But hey, I'm doing my homework on this stuff. I want you to know that, um, let's keep in mind, this is the word of God. Okay? Now, I know it's a matter of interpretation. You know, it's open to interpretation. But uh, you've got to use the principles of interpretation, what we call in theology, good hermeneutics, and interpret it as best you can. And when I'm not sure, I've told you over and over the times, I'm not sure that it's speculation. But one thing I am sure of, there's going to be a cashless society. There's going to be a mark. It's going to be an etching. And more than all of that, Jesus is coming back. And this is the darkness before the dawn. Amen? Come on, everybody. This is the darkness before the dawn. So can we lift our hands together and let's just thank Jesus. Lord, thank you. Lord, these are solemn words. But Lord, we know that John was burdened by these words. We know that he was just a normal man receiving these incredible revelations. And Lord, we just thank you for the incredible, supernatural power of your word to predict 20 centuries down the road what would be there, what we would be seeing and experiencing and watching and witnessing. Lord, we are so moved by your word. We thank you, Lord, so much for your presence and power. And Lord, right now, we just praise you and bless you. Now, I want us all to pray together, can we? Say, Lord Jesus, tonight, I give you my life in these last days. Help me to reach as many people as possible in as many ways as possible and to stay true to you and your word. For Jesus is coming soon. Everybody say, Amen.